Thank you so much for your word. And so we bring this time of the word of God under the blood of Jesus right now. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace. Lord, as you speak through me your words of life, that these words will go out as living seeds of truth. Lord, that you speak through me what you want spoken the way you do. It will go out as living seeds of truth, sown in a good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Spirit, and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, allow that this word will go out like light of truth and shine and dispel all the darkness, the lies, the deception of the enemy and release rather truth and revelation from the Lord. That the word will go out as the washing of the water of the word and cleanse your people. Lord, let your word go out like Jeremiah saw as a hammer that will break down the strongholds of the enemy. Let it be a sword that cuts away what needs to go. But, Lord, make sure that the winds of your spirit carry this, this word and other words from River of Life. As everybody's agreeing with me, Lord, let the winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. And let your holy angels make sure everything's accomplished through your word among the nations, Lord, that your will to be done through River of Life. We commit it unto you in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, as I get into this. Let me say a quick, real fast testimony. So my wife spoke for a ministry down in College Station this weekend. And it was funny because it was a totally different crowd than what she normally speaks to. Normally she's speaking to either just heathen or church folk or Gideons, right? Well, these none of this didn't fit under any of that. Somehow, some ministry there got all these people that were like, let, let me just give examples like, one of them was the CEO of Bluebell Ice Cream. And I don't know why Sandy doesn't have a bunch of Bluebell right now. But anyway. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, he tried. And then there was like, let's just say, for example, like the police chief or, or the, the, the local um, superintendent of this high school. It was like all these community people. And it was interesting because as my wife is telling her story, she said that, you know, the gospel went forth, but it was just funny. She said they were all just kind of sitting there with their mouth hung open. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. So praise God. I mean, the thing is, a lot more happens through River of Life than probably a lot of people know. I, I've gotten just a lot of testimonies from people from other nations. Um, there's some conference going on in Oklahoma that's using our material in it for stuff. And then there's also, I got a a message from um, some Bible school in Africa that's using some of our stuff. And there's just a lot it, everywhere. I mean, trust me, it's all over that people are being um, tapping into River of Life through through the Internet. That's the wonderful thing about the Internet, that it's there's a lot of evil out there. But it's also an opportunity to get the Word of God to the nations. All right, so I'm talking about surviving and thriving in these last days, this is the last part, part 30 in my little mini-series, right? Everybody laughs. But this is actually the longest series I've ever preached in my life. But when you're dealing with the end times, I mean, you can't just preach one sermon and do it justice, right? So I went through the whole end time scenario, and this is how I felt the Lord wanted me to close it out. But listen, how many knows that God doesn't want us just surviving, but he really wants us to, to thrive in these last days and see great revival and to really prosper? You know, I don't believe it's God's will for his people to live lives that are defeated, that are oppressed, that are impoverished, that are uh, sick and beat down. And it's not God. It's God's will. Jesus said the thief comes to do those things, to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I've come that you have life, have it more abundant. So I believe in these last days there's going to be a grace on us to um, have an abundant life and walk in victory. Okay. So with that said, when you read the scriptures... And you look back, um, it will first let's start with Revelation. It talks about Babylon. There's a reason why that's referenced, and I can't get into it too much tonight, but it's interesting to me that, that Babylon was used. And here's one of the reasons, though. When you look at the Tower of Babel, which was really the birthplace of this end-time Babylonian system that's going to be in place, the Tower of Babel was the first attempt through evil men at a one-world religious, political, economic system. I don't know if you guys ever thought of it that way, but it was. And that, of course, is how the Bible says the last day Babylon will be. It will be a one-world 
religious, geopolitical, economic system that, of course, is under the Antichrist. And Nimrod was a picture and type of the Antichrist, if you will, in that time. So that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it was a place of great rebellion. Babylon was a great rebellion. God had told them, fill the earth and multiply. And they said, we won't. We're going to stay here and do what we want to do. And they began to build a tower, uh, probably a ziggurat, have you say it, up. Okay, and they were trying to um, get up in the heavens. I don't know if the attempt, there's a lot of speculation where they attempting to dethrone God because maybe they didn't realize the higher they got, the less oxygen, and they wouldn't make it. I don't know. Number two, were they trying to tap into the fallen angels because they knew about the whole weird thing with the Nephilim, which they probably were. Um, what all was going on there? But one thing for sure, they were in rebellion against God in what they were doing. And Nimrod was a very evil man with a goofy name, right? All right, so as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, if you read 2 Timothy 3.1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Perilous in the Greek can be translated fierce. Everybody catch that. The Bible says that in the last days it will be fierce times. And so we know that these are going to be challenging times. And then also, as uh, Christopher pointed out this to me, and I wanted to share this, but the word harpazo, which is the Greek, that talks about the catching away of the bride, okay, the rapture of the church, the catching away, harpazo. It was interesting because harpazo was actually found in the Greek word where Philip was translated from one place to the next. That's interesting, isn't it? He used the same word. And then the same Greek word was used when Paul talked about he knew a man that was caught up to the third heaven, which he was probably referring to himself. But he said he was caught up. Isn't that interesting? The same Greek word. So this will all make sense. I'm bringing this all together through this sermon. Number one, remember the Tower of Babel. Satan's first attempt at a one-world government. But God scattered them. We know that it's going to be fierce times. The Bible says it will be like in the days of Noah and Lot. The Bible says fierce times. But there's coming a time when the bride is going to be caught away. All right, so how do we respond to this? Number one, I would say we need to make sure about, in regards to our own lives, righteousness and humility. That would be a good place, though, for an amen before the Lord, because we need to be righteous and we need to be humble in these last days, okay? A deep consecration. I believe that's one of the things that's been unique that God's led in River of Life. I've never been personally a part of a ministry that, that has talked about these things as far as the, the deep consecration of communion. Um, we anoint people with oil and pray over people in the altar time. That's fairly common among Pentecostals, but not among others. And then, of course, also the times when we have these baptismal services. But there's an emphasis on really deeply consecrating your life unto God. And I believe that people have told me that the difference in their life of doing that, how powerful it's impacted them. Let me tell you that I believe that the Lord is really pleased with people's hearts that want to deeply consecrate their lives. Because it's one thing to just accept Christ as your Savior. I mean, by virtue of God's covenant He's made through Christ by His blood, that's enough to get us into heaven right there, okay? But that's altogether different conversation than when you're dealing with, though, okay, I've accepted Christ, but now I want to really deeply consecrate my life as holy unto God, like a deep consecration. Those are two completely different things. And so that's also something I believe personally has helped River of Life to be very effective with um, inner healing and deliverance because we've seen a lot of people really set free. But those that have really experienced a lot of freedom and really come into um, a tremendous place of victory have also stayed with the process of being deeply consecrated unto God. Okay, And I believe that's one of the reasons why my wife is walking in such victory today is because of this as we've talked about many times, her and I, about this deeply consecrating your life. All right, so let me show you something here. It's really interesting. Luke seven twenty nine. 
If you don't get anything else out tonight, just really take hold of this scripture because this, this blew my mind when I really studied this. A lot of people have probably never even, I mean, maybe you read it in passing as you read Luke chapter 7. You just read over. But I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon talk about this, okay? It says this, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice. In other words, they agreed with God's righteousness is what that means having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Has anybody ever thought about that? That when John came and he was baptizing people, that it was preparing them for the coming of the Lord. And so when Jesus came, the people that had submitted to them, that they submitted themselves unto that consecration they they submitted to what god was doing when jesus came they could not only accept him but they could really understand what he was trying to tell them and they were in agreement with his teaching he said that they agreed with god's righteousness they were agreeing with what jesus was teaching that their that time of immersion that time of consecrating themselves prepared them so my point is this that was when jesus came the first time could it be that God is wanting to deeply consecrate a bride right now because Jesus is about to come again? And he wants us to be ready, not only for him coming to catch us away, but him coming in the way of revival. I'm going to tell you something. There may be many called, but few are chosen when it comes to revival. Because there's a lot of places God wants to pour out his spirit, but there's a lot of people that are not really preparing themselves and preparing their ministry to handle it. That's why the Bible says an old wine, or yeah, an old wineskin cannot handle, or a new wineskin. You know what I'm trying to say. Y'all help me out. An old wineskin, new wine, it doesn't work. Got it, all right? <laughs> yeah, I just need another sip of coffee, all right? <laughs> but that old wineskin, so you can't have people that, that have that, that old wineskin where they haven't prepared themselves. And so one of the ways that God is doing that right now, he's calling us into a deep consecration unto himself where there's a healthy fear of God and seeing Jesus as Savior and Judge. And that, what grieves me is that what I see in a lot of churches though now, now that there's been, we've gotten past the, the revivals of the 90s which were just tremendously powerful and, and all that happened. Looking now at the body of Christ, you know, a decade later, on the other side of everything, because really about 2005, it began to die down a lot. So last decade, Satan has kind of come in, come in behind that. And what I see, and I'm not totally against being seeker-friendly or whatever, but the problem is is that the seeker-friendly changed, changed the word of God and a lot of other things to accommodate the people. But anyway, what you see more than anything else is you see a group of people that don't have a healthy fear of God. And they come in just haphazard. they got stuff in their life that's not right. They just, they're real flipping about it. And man, that's a very dangerous way to live before God. Okay, The way that we need to approach God is in humility and repentance and consecrating our lives unto Him. So this whole attitude of just being flippant about the presence of God and all that, it's, it's, it's dangerous. They're, all right, so Revelation 1, 9, let me show you. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, was the same John that was really close to the Lord. So I want you to think about it. If anybody could have had a casual approach toward Jesus, John probably could have. But when you read Revelation 1, starting with verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, which is the Sabbath, he said, I was in the spirit. We know when you pray and really worship, you get past your flesh and you just kind of get in the spirit, if you will. That's what he was talking about. And I heard behind me a loud shofar blast. That's what the trumpet would have been. And it said, it was a voice like a shofar blast, which said, Write on a scroll that what you see and send it to the seven churches and then list them. Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, 
dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest and hair on his head which was white like wool and as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters and in his hand he held the seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance and when I saw him what was his response was it hey hey give me high five no it wasn't like a, he, a fist bump, right? Or like a chest bump or whatever. He was, what was John's response? He fell on his face like a dead man before the Lord. And then Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So that is the, the true biblical response before the Lord. It's like, just getting on our face, humbling ourselves, and, and really consecrating our lives unto him. Those that do that are going to have God's favor. And, and that when the day of trouble comes, they'll be hidden. I'm going to show you a scripture here in a moment. But let me just read something here. I want you to take this to heart. Okay, so I, this is something I wrote. But we will all appear before the Lord as a judge one day. We all know that. Whether you're saved or unsaved, all of us, everybody, is going to stand before the Lord as a judge. Whether you're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, which is going to be for Christians, or you're going to be at the great white throne judgment for the heathen, you will stand before God as a judge. All of us will. And this is a very important reality for us to grasp. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each, each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Notice that, whether good or bad. And therefore knowing, look at this, verse 11, Therefore knowing the fear of the Lord. Now that fear there can be translated terror in the Greek. So therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. I wonder how many of us have ever come to know the terror of the Lord. How many pastors have ever preached from a full understanding, not that I'm saying that I have, but from a full understanding of the terror of the Lord as it applies to themselves. This spectacle of Jesus was so overwhelming that John became like a dead man. I'm just saying that the Lord, let me say it this way, the Lord loves us more than it is possible for us to understand. And His mercy is greater than we could even understand. And he, He's patient with us more than we'll ever know. I mean, all of that is there, His incredible love for us. The fact that He would send Jesus to die such a brutal death. God loves us deeply. But understand also, He's also a severe judge. And so there has to be this balance there where we understand God's love for us and we're, we're secure in that. But at the same time, we're, we're really humble before him and we consecrate our lives. And there's not this flippant attitude. You know, there was a, a man that taught on this. I thought it was so interesting. He said that Judas was exposed at the Passover Seder, at that meal. So first, that's where we get Holy Communion from. It was taken out of Passover. So first, let me say this. It seems to me like at Passover and also when we take communion, it might expose the Judases that need to be exposed in our midst, okay? So let's just say that first, okay? All right. But the second revelation that you can take from that is this. While they're eating this, this meal, and some people may not realize what it is, but a ceremonial meal remembering what the Lord did for Israel and for us as Christians remembering what Jesus did for us at the cross during this meal, Jesus was asked, you know, who's going to betray you? And he said, the one who dips his bread with me. And so you can see there that it's possible that Judas was sitting close to the Lord and was basically just kind of eating off his plate, so to speak, you know. Could it be a reference to the fact that Judas had gotten a little too casual with the Lord? Like he was a little too flippant. Because I don't even feel comfortable eating off other people's plates that I'm pretty close friends with without asking, you know. And it's just, people get a little too casual. Whereas John, on the other hand, it's very likely, because 
people have said Judas was maybe the oldest and John was maybe the youngest, and it, traditionally John would have sat to the right of Jesus at the Seder. And so when they leaned to the left, he, that's why he was leaning on Jesus, okay? Because they leaned to the left. Anyway, but it could be that Judas was on the left and John on the right. Could it be that you're looking at two people to the right and left of Jesus here, that one of them kept a holy, reverential fear of God and ended up writing books in the Bible that we read today, John. The other one developed a very casual, flippant attitude toward the Lord and ended up betraying him. So personal holiness and repentance. So this scripture really sticks out to me here. Zephaniah 2 verse 3. It says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. See, like I mentioned earlier, the book of Hebrews, everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. So the Bible says. And in these last days, I know that there, things are going to really be bad during what we know as the tribulation time or the days of Jacob's trouble. I realize that. And the bride will, will be caught away and won't have to be here for that part. But that does not mean that there's not going to be terrible times. But even before that, there's going to be difficult times. But I believe if people will seek the Lord, and they will seek to be righteous before him and be humble before him that they can be hidden in the days of God's anger. So what is the message for us then? We're living in the world, but we're not of it. So let's make it just real practical. How many people will be in church this weekend, but also maybe the night before we're out drinking and partying and clubbing and maybe sleeping around looking at pornography different things they're living in unrepentant sin but then they're going to church we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world and those that aren't really living the way they're supposed to be Jesus said if you love me you'll keep my commandments it really boils down to a heart issue doesn't it if our hearts are really the Lord's we don't want to do those things anymore you know I remember that, I've told this story, my wife and I were looking at Christmas lights down in Grapevine at the square, and we were just walking through, actually Brian's with us too, and I play guitar a little bit, and um, we were walking through, and there was a band playing, they had the, the doors open, and they were playing, and we were just walking down the street, so it was like a square of a city, you're walking down looking at the lights, and the doors are open, and you hear music, so it caught our attention, we're turning looking, and the guitar player was really good, so I was just watching him play for a minute. And then we just kind of realized that the scene was a bar. And, and all of a sudden you smell the smoke and you see. And I remember looking at Sandy and it was like both of us, and she'll attest to this, it was just kind of like it's repulsive now. It really is. It's just like that's our past. That's what we came out of. I don't like this, the smell, the sight, the sound of it anymore. It doesn't have any pull on me anymore. But there was a time that it did. See, when we accept Christ, there is a death of that old man. And there's a resurrection into a new life, you know, and you, you can't really feel comfortable like that anymore. You can't feel comfortable coming to church in God's presence and worshiping him and then going out and sitting in a bar somewhere drinking and having some woman sit in your lap and whatever is going on there. You can't feel comfortable like that. You can't feel comfortable in clubs where people are, are dancing provocative and, you know, with sexual moves and things and they come to church. It just it doesn't work like that. So 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. I know that we use this a lot with marriages, but truthfully, you know, our best friends should not be heathen. That's what pulls a lot of people down. They want to go to church, but then they want to have best friends that are a bunch of heathen, and it drags them down. He said, What fellowship has righteousness and lawlessness? For what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is a spirit of lawlessness. And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? How many knows that we just don't anymore? When somebody truly gets saved and it's the real deal and, and they turn radical, 
it's amazing that they don't usually have to tell all their friends to go away. Usually, they just start talking about what happened. You guys won't believe it. And, the, and their friends just start leaving right and left. Or they get saved. But, you know, it's like the old dies if it's real. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Has anybody ever meditated on that? This week you ought to just meditate on that scripture. We are the temple of the living God. And get past just the cliche if we hear that all the time. You know, and really meditate on what that actually means. That in the tabernacle there was a pillar of fire. And in the spirit realm there should be a pillar of fire, a little tongue of fire over us. The glory, the manifest presence of God is living in us. That I mean, if you really, really meditate on that for about a week and think about what that really means, that is an incredible statement. And God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, this is our part, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. So that's the first point I would make. How are we going to survive and thrive in the last days? Humility and righteousness before a holy God. Not having a flippant attitude, but really being like John and just humbling ourselves before him. He is holy. He is so holy. And we don't deserve his love and grace. I think sometimes people maybe get an entitlement attitude toward the Lord. We don't deserve anything. But he loves us so much. He's so merciful. He's so good to us. All right. And the second thing I would say is the home. Our homes. I heard this statement. I go back a lot and reference the Brownsville Revival because that was the birthplace for me of, of what God was doing in my life. And I really studied that revival. So I pretty much know. I don't know if I know everything, but I know a lot about that move of God. But one of the things that John Kilpatrick said about revival was this. He said before revival broke out in Brownsville, he said that revival broke out first in his home. And he put an emphasis on that. He said we had to have a beginning there where God had done a work in our home first before he was going to do a work in the church. And let me say this too. Once revival broke out in Brownsville, it was shortly after that Pastor Kilpatrick was preaching a sermon called Leprosy in Your Home. And he was preaching to the people about really cleaning out your home and your home being a holy place for a habitation of God. And let me tell you something. If people really want it, you really can. I promise you, you can have God's presence like here in your home. I know from experience, because it's in our home, but it's something that you have to pursue you can't be flipping about it. You know, you really got to want God's presence. You got to ask him. And what we're going to have to do is first off, you kind of got to go through and just clear out the old debris. You know, if there's things, if there's things that's been like, uh, uh, well, I know with you guys, it's not, this isn't going to apply, but just people that may hear this, but if there's illegal drugs and there's stuff that cause addictions, you know, whether it be um, alcohol and, and drugs and, and tobacco and stuff, or, or pornography, things that addict people, things that are sexually perverted, things that are grotesquely violent and fearful like these uh, slasher movies and stuff. There's just things that are just, it's a defilement. It's a defilement that it's there. Freemasonry materials, things connected to witchcraft and other gods, pentagrams, goat's heads, things that people may have from their past. But you really need to go through and clean house and get rid of all that old stuff, the old music and stuff that grieves the Holy Spirit, the old movies that you used to watch that, that really you don't need to be watching now. And if, you're, if you just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me, he'll tell you. You know, all of us know, deep down you know, this isn't something Jesus would watch. This isn't really something he'd be pleased, you know. We all know if we'll get all that stuff out, and really consecrate that home. It's one thing just to join hands and pray, but it's an entirely different thing to really apply the blood over that property, to go through and anoint the bedrooms and deeply consecrate a home 
and bless it and really earnestly pray there and begin to play things in that home that are anointed, powerful stuff. I usually play our services from here as well. And the presence of God will come surging into that home. And if you'll, if you'll guard that presence and you'll make that home a place of prayer, then God will take up residence in that home. And that glory that's on that home will cause your health to improve. That glory that's in your home will cause your night's rest to be much better than it normally would be. It even affects, believe it or not, it even affects the, the way that your body will digest food and the way your body functions. It also affects your relationships. In that glory, you know we all get along better in the presence of God, right? <laughs> it affects your relationships. It affects everything. And we can have it. But we have to be willing, and that's why I'm about to start this series next week. I encourage you, don't miss this. Trust me. My wife and I have, we have the right to talk about this stuff, okay, about marriage and family. It really will help you. I'm going to do a deep study on it. All right. But our homes need to be unified. Let me show you something. Things that have been in the home, like unforgiveness, resentment, wrong attitudes, broken relationships, it can exclude the Christian from a place of powerful prayer. You want to pray, but it seems like God's distance, and it's hard to pray. But it could be that there's unforgiveness in the home, there's resentment there, there's bad attitudes, and there's broken relationships. And there was, a, listen to this story, this is a true story. There was a son of a leading pastor of a large church that stated that he personally knew, this is a sad statement, he personally knew 40 ministry families very well. He knew them. And he said out of all 40, he did not know one happy home. Did anybody just think about what I said, how sad that really is? This, this man knew, personally knew, 40 ministers in their households. He knew them well. He was a, his father was a, a minister of a large church. He'd, he'd grown up in the ministry. He got to know these people really well. Out of 40 homes, he said he did not know one that was really, truly a happy home. And you know, let me tell you a story as well about this, the witch on the airplane. You guys won't ever forget this one. So there was this guy that was fighting. Now, I heard this story, but then later on, I actually heard the guy that it happened to tell the story and verify the story. Okay, he was a minister. He was flying on an airplane. And you know how you strike up conversations with people around you sometimes. And he was just striking up conversation. And he saw this lady. And he was asking her about stuff. Come to find out she was fasting. This came up in conversation. Because, you know, the stewardess comes by and I ask you if you want. Used to, it was a good meal. Now it's a bag of stale peanuts, right? You know, asking if he wanted the bag of stale peanuts. And she was, she was fasting. So this came up in conversation. And he just assumed, oh, well, you know, this is a Christian lady, a real spiritual Christian lady. She's praying, you know, she's going after God or whatever. <laughs> Come to find out, she told him, no, I'm a witch, and I'm praying and fasting for the destruction of Christian pastors' homes, that their marriages will end in divorce. You know, this is what she was praying and fasting about. This, it, this is really common and doesn't even surprise me a little bit, but it's just interesting that it was, it's able to be verified and made public so people can pray about it, but that goes on all the time. That's why when, when ministers understand things that nobody else is going to understand, you know, there's a level of intensified spiritual warfare that goes on with the ministry that you can't really describe. People just, until you get into it, it's hard to understand. But here's the interesting part in Matthew 18, verse 19. It says, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask. Now, here's the interesting thing. The word agree in the Greek is the same word in which we get our English word symphony. I don't know if I could make it work. It'd probably sound all bad right now because I can't reach the higher keys. But if I could play on the keyboard like a C, then an E, then a G, you can hear that these make a beautiful note because they go together, you know. And it's a symphony of sound coming together. But if I was to go over here and hit two keys together like an F and an F sharp and some other crazy note and just 
just hit it like that, it would sound horrible. Everybody would be like, oh, man, you know. And um, I'm trying to avoid jokes about growing up in church and some of the things that go. But anyway, I just need to stay on topic. But it's, it's not a good sound. So the point is, in our homes, there has got to be a symphony of relationships coming together in unity. And that's what Satan probably fights the most. Now think about it for a minute that God made mankind in his image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three God, yet one. And he's made us a body, soul, and a spirit. We're three parts but one. Now, in a home structure, you have father, mother, child. You have three, but it makes up one home. Does this make sense? Three distinct it can be a big family. I'll just make it a point. Father, mother, and then children. All right. There's three notes that make up chords, like C-E-G. There has to be like a symphony of people getting along and being unified. And that, when we worship and pray together in that place, it's like a beautiful sound going up to God. But where there's this disorder and this fighting, things are out of, they're chaotic. And think about this. The book of Proverbs said that where there's pride, there's contention. So we know that if there's a lot of fighting, somebody is in pride somewhere. Because <laughs> the Bible says so. Okay, you can ask around the room, oh, nobody's in I'm not in pride. Maybe you, you, know, you go around the room and nobody's going to admit it, but somebody's in pride, right? And so if we humble ourselves before God... And just say, Lord, regardless, I want to be right. Okay, that's, that's the first key I would say about this is that wives stop trying to fix the husband. Husbands stop trying to fix the wife. And children start, stop griping about the parents. Everybody just say, you know what? Regardless of anything else, I want to be right with God. I want to have a pure heart. I want to be everything I'm supposed to be in this family. If people will have that attitude and be humble before God, man, it can start bringing a, a, a symphony into that home right there. But it's interesting to me how God the Son, being equal to God, yet he humbles himself to glorify the Father. So there's not this competition between God the Father and God the Son. They're not at button heads. I want the glory today, you know. <laughs> And there's not that going on. I mean, Jesus, is, he's, he's God the Son. He's just as much God as the Father, but he's, he's there to glorify the Father. And he humbles himself under that. And how God the Holy Spirit, being just as much God as any other member of the Godhead, he humbles himself to come in a way to glorify Jesus. So see, it's humility. You can, do you see where I'm going with this? God, even in the Godhead, you see humility there. That there's no competition and fighting and I want my way, you know. And there's none of that. It's just this coming into alignment in humility. And if our homes, if people will humble themselves before God and get things right and say, Lord, I just want to do my part. There can be, start being that symphony where God is in perfect harmony. There's no discord. There's no tension between the Godhead. There's, there's this beautiful harmony there. Think about when Jesus walked the earth. God the Father. This is my Son in whom I will please. Then you see Jesus walking the earth, but he's glorifying the Father, and you see the power of the Holy Spirit at work through him. And there's this perfect symphony there, this harmony in the Godhead. And that's the way God wants it in our homes. So I'm saying that because for us to survive and thrive in the last days, there's got to be a glory in our home and there's got to be an order in our home. And we can read in First uh, Peter 3, 1, I just encourage you, this is the amplified version here. I encourage you to read over this. I'm only going to read a little bit of it. But over this next week, just read over it. But it talks about wives being submissive, coming under their husband's authority and submitting to that authority. And let me make this statement and move on. But you never know somebody is really rebellious until you tell them no. Right? 
That's a true statement. Because as long as you're always telling them, yeah, you know, they come to you and say, can I do this? Yeah. Can I do this? Sure. As long as that's going on, everybody's happy. And then they come and say, well, I want to do this. No. Oh, man, we're all going to know. Is this person is this person really submissive or are they rebellious? It's going to come out at that moment. So there's got to be this husband being willing to lead in the purposes of God, the wife being willing to come under that authority and submit in everything as unto the Lord, and children being willing to honor and obey their parents. And in that, there can be a symphony before God, a harmony. And that is the place of answer prayer. So it talks in here, it says, that even if some of the husbands don't believe in God, that they're going to be won over to Christ because of their godly wife, because of the way she treats him. And when they see the modest and respectful behavior of their wife, okay? And then it goes down and says, don't focus on your outward appearance, but on having a beautiful spirit before God. In verse 5, in this way, in former times, holy women who hoped in God adorned themselves, being submissive to their husbands, adapting themselves to them, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called, called him Lord, called him Master, called him her authority. And, they, and those that will do that, will submit, will be her daughters if they do what's right and not give way to fear. All right, and, in, and then it says to the husbands, you better make sure that you really love your wife and your understanding and treat them right. Because he says, if you don't, he said, I'm not going to answer your prayers. It says right here, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. That's the point. See, Jesus said, if two will agree, I will do what they ask. But there has to be that symphony. Agreement is where we get the word symphony. There has to be this harmony, this unity coming together. Uh, for example, the husband and wife just had a knockdown, drag out fight. There was a, a skillet just flew through the air, okay? And the children are in their room yelling and screaming, and there's total discord. That sounds like the F and F sharp together, whatever. Clank, this horrible sound. And then before they go to bed, somebody's going to say a little prayer. Lord bless us with this, you know? And it's like it's, their prayers are hindered and ineffective. Because their homes are so out of order and chaotic. But if everybody will humble themselves and get things right, it can become a symphony. And we say, how is that possible? With God, all things are possible to him that believes. So when you pray, don't doubt, believe, and God can do it. And I'll deal more with that in the coming series. But Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the terrible day of the Lord. The great day was his first coming. The terrible day is his second coming. So we know there's going to be an Elijah coming, so to speak, okay, at both times. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, children of hearts, or the hearts of the children to the fathers, so that I will not come and smite the lamb with a curse. So there has to be, where the Spirit of God comes as the Spirit of Elijah, that's a powerful anointing. John the Baptist had that anointing on him. It said that John came in the Spirit of Elijah. That's a fiery, prophetic, powerful anointing from God. But that anointing, that move of God, called the Spirit of Elijah, when the Lord comes in that way, he says, then I can turn the hearts of the fathers to children, children to the fathers. In other words, he's saying I can bring healing to the generations. I can bring healing to relationships. So we have to press in to that move of God, that anointing, that, that Holy Spirit to come in that way to where it melts the hard hearts and people humble themselves and get things right. I've heard story after story in revival where people have been at different revivals and their, their marriage was chaotic, their home was chaotic, their kids or whatever. And through the revival, the Holy Spirit moved on them so powerfully you know, husbands would weep in the altars. Wives were on their face and their, their shirt was soaked in tears. The children were on the ground weeping. And, and I, I even heard stories. I heard a story in Brownsville where the pastor said that he actually heard people on the floor under the power of God walking through there. He heard some uh, teenagers asking their parents forgiveness for stuff. That's the power of God. And the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to melt the hard hearts. And all of a sudden, people's hearts are tender and God puts a love in them. And, and, they, and they go and say, I'm sorry, I've been acting like that. All right. 
So the last point is this. The first point is that we've got to seek righteousness and humility. The second point is our homes have got to be a fortress in God. They've got to. You know, how many times I've read and researched revivals. There's this one revival where the Spirit of God was so strong at the church, and the pastor kept hearing people say, Pastor, I don't understand. We're at church, and we're all loving one another. And the power of God is so awesome. And we get home, and it's like all of a sudden it's so easy to fight and, and just things break out. Like, I don't understand. And, and that pastor said, if I heard it once, he said, I heard that a hundred different times. And he began to teach on how to get your home. to. It's one thing to have this at church, but it's another thing to have it at home. But we can have it at home. All right, the last point is God's house. The foolish and the wise virgins. Hebrews 10.25 says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That means coming to church. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. So the Lord's saying there, listen. As we see the coming of the Lord is near. And how many people here see the coming of the Lord is drawing near? Then he's saying, man, don't forsake the house of God. See, the thing about the wise and the foolish virgins, I can understand why Jesus made that statement. Because now being in the ministry as many years as I've had, I've seen it. How many times, my, even my wife and I have, have talked about it, where we've, people have come and we've told people, look, they come to us for help, say so you need to do this. They never do that. And then they stay with their problem and it it leads to something worse down the road. That's the difference between the wise and foolish virgins. You know what I'm saying? People come to you and say, well, I don't understand this this and this is going on. Say, okay, well, the Bible says this, so you need to go do this. They never do that. Yeah, and you know just forsaking God's house and different things and and you just shake your head like man but that's why Jesus said the wise and the foolish versions because some will be wise they'll understand the day they live in they understand the importance of the house of God they understand to not only hear sermons but apply them to their lives I mean really apply them they understand they're wise but then there's the foolish so here's something I'll just read. It says, actually I got this from Derek Prince. And I really like what he said here. So it says, I believe with certain extreme exceptions that the Lord expects every believer to be a committed member of a congregation. If the message of Revelation, remember the book of Revelation was written on the Isle of Patmos by John and then it was sent out to the seven churches. Okay, so there was these scrolls that were taken to these churches, physically taken where they were read. Okay, so what he's saying here is if the message of Revelation were sent today and you were not committed to any congregation, you would have never got the message. How many things is the Lord speaking that people just, you know how many times, I don't even know that I could count how many times I've preached sermons and looked out and thought, if that person was here, this would really help them. But I have, to, I have to dismiss it or I'll get, as a pastor, you start getting a heavy heart about stuff. And I can't dwell too long on that. I should pray for them. But i got to focus on, okay, Lord, but these, these people are here. So I'm going to just pour my heart in it. But I thought, you know, man, so many times I've thought that as a pastor. That person really needs this. And they need the anointing that's going to be moving in the altar tonight to help them. But they're not here. All right. The wise and the foolish virgins. It is only sent to the churches through God's government on the earth. See, that's the thing. God honors his government and he moves through his government. Some people think, well, I can just get out of church and I'll just go be at my house and I'll watch TV. I'll watch a preacher on TV or I'll, I'll gather a few people. We'll have us a Bible study. That's what we're going to do and we're just fine. It's like, okay. But the problem with that is, is that God, when he's speaking and he's moving with great power, God is going to move through his government and your way over here. 
So you're going to miss out on what God's actually doing. The house of God, there is a downflow of blessing. Psalm 133. How good it, pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil what that poured over Aaron's head. It starts at the head. Went down his beard onto his garments. There's a flow downward. That's why, and I'll go back, one more example with Brownsville was this. When Steve came and preached, the Spirit of God broke out, and, and God was touching people. And John Kilpatrick telling the story, it's so hilarious hearing him tell it, but he said he heard a rushing wind, but he thought that it was the PA system messing up, you know, and his ankles gave out on him, so he's trying to walk. It's a funny story. But anyway, he said that when he got the mic, and he had to lean on the pulpit, he got the mic, and he said, as soon as he said this, he said, Listen, everybody, this is God. Get in on it. As soon as he said that, the people there say, man, the power of God exploded. I mean, hit the place with great force, and people by the 10s, 20s, 30s at a time just begin to collapse under the power. Why? Because if he had gotten up as the pastor and said, all right, we've had enough, let's just shut it down, God would have left. But when he said, this is God, get in on it like that. And man, the power of God came in. Why? Because it has to start with the head and go down. If a pastor don't want a move of God, there's not going to be a move of God. It don't matter if every other person there wants it. They can pray for a move of God and God may remove that pastor and send another. But revival won't come until there's a pastor that wants it. God moves through authority. And so there's a blessing in the local church because there's something that's flowing down the head down to the people. And if you're out, you're disconnected from that, you're missing out on what God is doing. There's a spiritual covering of protection. Now, this may sound weird, but I'll share it anyway. But this is the truth. Maybe it's just because it's my congregation, I don't know. But even outside of church, when I see people in River of Life, to me, you look different. There's something on you from river of life there just is i don't think that any of us will see it in the natural or anything but there's something there's something there because people whatever you're under that covering that mantle that whatever you want to call that anointing that's on us when we go out of here there's something on people from whatever church they're a part of also there's a power in corporate prayer and fasting that you're not going to get on your own Somebody says, well, you know what? Somebody looked at me wrong. I'm not going back to that church. You know, I'll just stay home and pray. Well, that's fine. You need to stay home and pray sometimes. You need to pray, period. But you're not going to have the power of the corporate prayer that takes place at church. It won't happen in your home with you and your little dog or whatever. It's just not going to happen, and we love dogs. But it's not going to be the same as at church. Even though it can be powerful. Yeah, our dog, Bella, Brianna's convinced she soaks. She soaks in the glory. It does look like it, and I'll give you that. All right, but back to the sermon. Don't get me off <laughs> as I close this out. The power of sowing and reaping. Also, people say, well, I'm not going to go to church. I'll just say, well, you know. The thing is, how are you going to get your, your finances, the tithing and stuff, how are you going to get that in the kingdom? You know, well, I'll just send it to other places as well. It's not the same. So the thing is that there's, there's a government there where you can put also your kingdom finance into and the spiritual growth and freedom that you experience through the local church that you're not going to experience by yourself. There's no way that God puts fivefold ministry and he's given them revelation week after week, giving them revelation, manna from heaven, to feed the sheep. It's supernatural. And you want to stay home and just read your Bible and think you're going to get the same thing. Now, you're, going to, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, that's awesome, but it's not the same. Amen? It's just not. Whenever there's an authority figure that's getting revelation from God, what is Jesus speaking to this church now, tonight? And this is the word of the Lord. And I'll close with this statement. I open the whole series with have a shining countenance. Remember that? Looking for the Lord's appearing. 
We're not looking for the Antichrist per se. We're looking for Jesus Christ. We're looking for the coming of the Lord. And so as we look at him and we look at what he's doing in the earth and we we stay focused on that, we can have a glorious, shining countenance in these last days. And we can live in joy and we can live in victory. Here's the last thing in the altar time. I want to pray for people because just reading this, Revelation 2, 4 says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, that means in the Greek, supreme love feast. It's really interesting. It's referring to communion, but nobody would know that, reading that, unless you read the Greek. But it means supreme love feast. So you've neglected or you've gotten away from your first love. Okay. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I will come to you and remove your lampstand. The lampstand speaks of a fresh anointing and revelation from the Lord. Out of its place unless you repent. Now, here's the interesting thing. I put the tabernacle. Now, I want you to look at this picture right now. On the far left, you see the Holy of Holies. That's the ark. I want you to picture a human being being laid down. I want you to picture Jesus being laid down on top of this, superimposed, okay? You've got his head area is in the Holy of Holies. You go down, and his heart is where the golden altar is. The golden altar is the incense of worship and prayer. See, that's supposed to come out of our heart, okay? Now, you've got going down on the left-hand side, you've got the communion table, the table of showbread, and on the right-hand side, where his left and right hand would be, the right hand would be the golden lampstand. Are y'all seeing that? His head is the ark. His heart is the golden altar of worship. His left hand is at the communion table. His right hand is at the lampstand. And everybody knows that your left arm, when people maybe have a heart attack or something, their left arm hurts. There's a connection there with your your heart. So the communion table, he's saying, listen, if you start neglecting that communion table, then I'm going to neglect out of your midst the lampstand. Why? Because the communion table has to do with deeply consecrating our lives unto God. That's what, did everybody catch that? This might be one of the more important things I've said. The, he's saying here that the, the table of showbread, that's where you're really, con, you know, examining yourself and getting things right and consecrating your life unto me. That's the place of coming under my blood and a, a deep consecration. If you'll honor that, you'll have the lampstand. The lampstand is a fresh anointing, power, the revelation of God flowing in a place. But if you start neglecting the table, then I'm going to remove the lampstand. And beneath that, in the loin area, talking about sexual purity, is the laver, the washing of the water of the Word of God. I believe, honestly believe, has to do with like sexual purity. But also, the Bible says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So that's that water area. And then at the feet would be the bronze altar where the animals were killed and it speaks of the cross, the foot of the cross. So you can see Jesus in this tabernacle. But that's for us today that we're deeply consecrating our lives at the communion table, so to speak. But then the Lord is sending his lampstand, his power among us, his light, his anointing. There's churches in these last days that are neglecting a lot of things that are very fundamental and foundational before the Lord, and it's serious. It's very serious. Some of them are even neglecting the gospel itself. They're changing. They're altering it. They're watering it down. They're trying to just tell people what they want to hear. They are in very serious danger of having their lampstand removed by the Lord. What that would mean is, is that they're no longer even recognized as a church before God. They're just a place people go to. But as far as God is concerned, they're not even a church anymore. Their lampstand's been removed. So as we pray here in this altar time, the power of soaking in God's presence. How many are hungry for more? Let me just give you this. Jesus, when he appeared to the disciples, he breathed on them. Remember that? Received the Spirit. Later... On the day of Pentecost, they were filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then later after that, the Bible references Peter being filled with the Spirit 
spoke to the Sanhedrin. Then after that, the early church prayed and the place shook where they prayed and they were filled with the Spirit. My point in all of that statement was just this. They went, the early church went from one place of being filled with the Spirit to the next place of being filled with the Spirit to the next place of being filled with the Spirit. They were continually being filled with the Spirit of God. There's more, there's more. Like Esther, we, we're part of the wise virgins that have made the effort to be at God's house tonight and to soak in His presence and to be filled with extra oil and let God touch us tonight. All right, let's go ahead and just shut down recordings and we're going to pray for people quickly. But how many are hungry for more of the Lord tonight? Lord, I pray as we're about to pray for people, help us, Lord, to be a people that are humble and righteous before you, Lord. Also help us, Lord, that our homes are like a symphony, of a place of your presence. And finally, Lord, help us to be wise and stay plugged into your house where your government rep- is represented and where you can speak to us what you're wanting to speak and you can do a work in our lives. These are the things that will help us in these last days to not only survive but to thrive. Mm. I've been feeling a new, a new presence of God coming in lately. Really strong. And Lord, here in a moment, I'm going to pray for everybody, but just help everybody to be able to plug in next week and after that with the sermon series on marriage and family, Lord, because you want our homes to be healthy. And we have got to deal with these things. And Lord, I pray, help us um, to be able to get everything out of it. It's your will to be done. I feel it's going to be important in Jesus' name.